Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Hey, uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, whether you're here in person or joining us online, I want to say welcome to Sunridge on Sunday. And uh, if you don't know me, my name's Britt. I serve here as the lead pastor. And uh, if you're new or newer to Sunridge and we've never gotten to be acquainted or you haven't gotten to meet our staff or others, I'd love for you to, next Sunday, every first Sunday, we do a little hangout right after church called Welcome to Sunridge. And super low key, you get to meet our staff and uh, we get to meet you, which is what, what it's really all about. We'd love for you to just plan on that if you're new at Sunridge. So uh, everyone, take a seat. And um, actually, I want you to stand back up. Okay, sit back down. No, no. Okay. All right. Okay, I'm going to put uh, our passage of Scripture on the screen, and I want us to read it together. I noticed last week, hey, stand up, because you guys read way better when you're standing up. I learned this. I know this about you. If you you can't stand, that's fine. But I want you to. Therefore, all together, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. You guys, awesome job. You can be seated. That is great. We're off to a great start here. So uh, the man that led the campaign for India's independence from British rule through nonviolence, Mahatma Gandhi, is credited with making this statement. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Then uh, Barna Research conducted a study recently on Americans' opinions of Jesus and Christians. And here's what they found, that seven in ten Americans, that is 71%, uh, view Jesus positively, but that positive faith of the man Jesus doesn't translate to their view of Christian faith. Only 15% of Americans without faith label Christianity a faith that they respect. So those opinions seem to be incongruent, right? But according to Barna's research, the disparity is connected to their view of Christians. Nearly half of all Americans view Christians as judgmental and hypocritical. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. This disparity 
the positive view toward Jesus, but in many cases a negative view toward Christians is discouraging. But there's also like a glimmer of hope in that. It would be discouraging to have a problem like that and have no solution. To have a problem that matters so much to Christian faith, that the stakes were so high, that so much is riding upon and not have a solution, that would be discouraging. But that's not what we have here. The solution is right before us in what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Now today we're wrapping up the series Reach, and we've been lifting our thoughts each Sunday from the exact words that Paul uses in this passage of Scripture. And today what I want to do is I want to do three things. I want to talk about what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. And then secondly, I want us to take an honest look at ourselves. Not they, but us. And then we're going to wrap up this whole REACH series uh, by allowing God to stretch us through our three postures that we've been using as an illustration of what God is doing in us and what he's calling us to. So number one, what does it mean to be an ambassador of Christ? So you know how sometimes when we'll refer to the original languages, when we're studying either the Old Testament in Hebrew or the New Testament, which is written in Greek, and that word will like, it'll mean something different from what maybe the English word is that we use. Or maybe it, it, it creates so much more depth in the word when we look at the original language. Um, that's not true here of ambassador. The image of identifying us as an ambassador of Christ is unique to Paul, and, and he only uses it one other, other time, in Ephesians chapter 6. And the word is presbuo. It means ambassador. Simple. To act as a representative. That's your nugget of truth today. Presbuo is a is a, it's actually a political term that translates very parallel to our English word that we use, ambassador. And just like today, an ambassador in the first century um, represented a nation or a kingdom or a ruler who was in communication with another nation or ruler. Now, I've never been an ambassador in the political sense, but I have been a representative of the organizations that I've worked for both as a firefighter, I don't know if I've mentioned to you before, but I used to be a firefighter, and as a pastor. I mean, in my first career, I drove around in a big red fire engine that had the county logo on it, and I represented the county fire department. And we had a code of conduct that we were supposed to conduct ourselves by. And then often in this community, I'm running into people who say, hey, aren't you the pastor of Sunridge? I'm like, ugh, what was I just doing, you know? Uh, so I don't know if you guys know this or not, but it's, it's part of my job, descript, job description to represent Sunridge well. This is right out of my lead pastor expectations. I'm going to put it up on the screen. The lead pastor will not cause or allow any organizational practice, activity, decision, or circumstance which is either unlawful, imprudent, outside the scope of the employee handbook, or in violation of commonly accepted Christian morals, ethics, and practices. I'm evaluated by that. You're like, well, Britt, you better step it up. I don't know. <laughs> See, I'm a representative of Sunridge today. I'm an ambassador for Sunridge. And that is how Paul saw himself. 
in relation to his, his, his relationship with Jesus. He was an ambassador, one whose role was to represent Jesus in the world. Verse 20 again, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And you know, that concept of being an ambassador of God or, uh, or a representative of God in the world is sown throughout Scripture. It begins right away in Genesis. In Genesis 1.27, God created mankind, what? In his own image. We are made in the image of God. And then Jesus to his disciples in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You're my representative. And even before his ascension in Acts 1.8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then even the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And then in Colossians 3.17, he said, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now let this idea settle on you. I know like if you've been a Christian for a while, you're familiar with this concept and, and it's easy to just kind of pass it off. But let it settle on you because it is a truly profound thought that every one of us who name the name of Jesus need to grasp because a recent survey has shown that Christians need to really refocus our attention on this. One quarter of Christians say they are always mindful of Christ being Christ's representative. One-sixth say that they are often mindful. But here's where it, it turns. One-fourth say they are sometimes conscious of being an ambassador of Christ. And 30% say that they rarely or never think of themselves in this light. So if you put that together, well over half of professing Christians are either only casually aware or completely unaware of this foundational concept. And, and I think that here, if you're a Christian, I think Paul is calling us back to this fundamental realization. As followers of Jesus Christ... As those who claim to be his followers, we are ambassadors for him in the world. And there is so much writing on this. Now, let's take an honest look at ourselves. You guys ready for that? Are you ready for a little self-reflection? No? Okay. <laughs> let's go home then. How are we doing at being... Christ's representative in the world. And again, Barna Research conducted a nationwide study to explore how proclaiming Christians are doing at emulating the actions and the attitudes of Jesus. And they wanted to determine whether Christians are reflecting Jesus or the behaviors and beliefs of the Pharisees or the self-righteous leaders of the first century. And they used this 20 disagree, agree, question survey as the basis for their analysis. You guys want to take the survey? Sure you do, because you, in your note sheet, you got it today. So, like, take that out. If you didn't get it, I'm still going to put it up, up on the board. I've, I've heard that some of you just wave off the note sheet when you come in. I don't need that. I already know all this. I got it down. We're still going to give them out to whoever will take them. Because I work so hard on this. So, 
Uh, big picture, you know, you have two sides to this card. The front side, which we'll start on, is the actions and attitudes of Jesus versus the Pharisees. And uh, we're going to start on the actions of Jesus' side. And you're going to see there's ten statements on each side. And um, ten of them describe the actions and attitudes of Jesus. And on the other side, we have the Pharisees. So if you have a pencil, you can check the boxes. You can just make a mental note. But just walk through this with me. So actions like Jesus. I listen to others to learn their story before telling them about my faith. In recent years, I've influenced multiple people to consider following Christ. I regularly choose to have meals with people with very different faith or morals from me. I try to discover the needs of non-Christians rather than waiting for them to come to me. And last, I am personally spending time with non-believers to help them follow Jesus. Then, then it goes from actions of Jesus to the attitudes. I see God-given value in every person regardless of their past or present condition. I believe God is for everyone. I see God working in people's lives even when they are not following him. It is more important to help people know God is for them than to, make, than to make sure they know that they are sinners. And then last, I feel compassion for people who are not following God and doing immoral things. You guys all right? Okay, let's go to the other side. These are first self-righteous actions. I tell others the most important thing in my life is following God's rules. I don't talk about my sins or struggles. That's between me and God. I try, to, I try to avoid spending time with people who are openly gay or lesbian. I like to point out those who do not have the right theology or doctrine. I prefer to serve people who attend my church rather than those outside the church. Okay, then let's, let's go to self-righteous attitudes. I find it hard to be friends with people who seem to constantly do the wrong things. It's not my responsibility to help people who won't help themselves. I feel grateful to be a Christian when I see other people's failures and flaws. I believe we should stand against those who are opposed to Christian values. And last, people who follow God's rules are better than those who do not. So how did you do? Man, you guys are quiet. <laughs> so the researchers kind of put together an aggregate score of this to place individuals of one of four categories. And then that's the last thing on this sheet. So just think about or mark which one you think most accurately captures where you are today. Christ-like in action and attitude. Christ-like in action, but not attitude. Christ-like in attitude, but not action. Christ-like in neither. Now, nationwide, findings reveal that the majority of us who call ourselves Christians 
would be identified as mainly pharisaical. Just over half, 51%, tend to have attitudes and actions that are self-righteous. Don't hate me. I'm just the messenger. I'm just re reading this, this survey to you. On the other end of the scale, according to Barna, just one out of seven Christians, that is 14%, represent the attitudes and actions of Jesus. In the middle are those who are like kind of split. About a fifth are Christ-like in attitude but self-righteous in action. And about 14% of respondents are identified as Christ-like in action but seem to be motivated by pharisaical or self-righteous attitudes. So, for your information, here's how we stack up. Evangelical Christians, and I, I use that term theologically, not politically, are more likely to have Christ-like actions and attitudes. And that's good news. But interestingly, those with a more liberal political ideology score much higher, three times higher, than those with conservative political leanings. Don't hate me. I'm just the messenger. Now, you might want to know that besides political conservatives, other demographics that it scored unusually low are those over 67 and men. I'm 66, so I'm good. Look, I don't know how you came out, um, and I'm not here to condemn anyone. This was not an exercise to embarrass anybody, but it was to make us think beyond what we just think of ourselves and what generally people who don't go to church are thinking of Christian today, because I think it's really important for us, to, if we're going to be Christ ambassadors, to honestly look at where we are, and not just us, but our community of faith. I mean, I'm sure all of you, most of you at least, have been in conversations where that, this, this disparity of who Jesus is and how Jesus is portrayed in the Gospels and the attitudes and actions of those who say they're Christians are today. You've been in those conversations where it seems to be conflicted. So let me state the obvious. There are many unchristian Christians today. In his book, Christianity for People Who Aren't Christians, author and pastor James Emery White notes a few qualities of unchristian Christians. And uh, these, these are things that people who like Jesus dislike about professing Christians. Things that people who don't go to church say it makes them hard, it makes it hard for them to believe in Jesus. And this is in your notes, three characteristics of unchristian Christians. The first one is legalism. And that's defined as when religion uh, uses adherence to rules, regulations, and codes as a measure of spirituality. Legalism. How many of you, I mean, some, I know, I realize, I'm going to explain it, but like some of you, you know, like, you know exactly what that word means when I say legalism. How many of you say you, like, you experience legalism at some time in your Christian walk? Yeah, put them up high. So we're all in fundamentalist anonymous, right? You guys okay? <laughs> I'm your pastor. I'm on your side. So here's some things that if you're not familiar with the term, this is what legalism is. The rules are always God's rules according to someone who is legalistic in their posture. Um, and even though, and that's, even though very often those rules can't be found in the Bible or in, in what, the way Jesus lived. And legalism, adherence to the rules, is the main focus. 
It's not to say there aren't rules in the Bible. We, we did a study this summer of the Ten Commandments, right? But in legalism, the rules are the key to gaining God's acceptance. And under legalism, when, when someone is, you know, like imprisoned by legalism, they rarely have joy, they don't experience God's love and, and God's freedom. And uh, often, the, the victims of legalism, are they, they live discouraged, guilt-laden, and defeated. I was saved. I became a Christian in a very legalistic church. We were against everything except Jesus. And um, I heard sermons about you shouldn't go to movies. Um, you can't listen to rock and roll. A lot of my buddies brought their rock and roll albums to the altar and had them broken up. I did not do that, and all my friends regretted this. I heard sermons about guys not wearing, having long hair. Uh, we heard sermons against dancing, drinking alcohol, playing girl, uh, not playing girls. <laughs> Man, I can't. I've made bigger mistakes than that, so. Uh, playing cards, you weren't allowed to play cards. Uh, girls could only wear dresses, not slacks, and, and you were really spiritual if you wore a tie to church. Uh, it was all about keep the list and you're good with God. And we used to have a saying when the Bible college that I went to, we used to say to one another, you know why God is against premarital sex, right? Because it might lead to dancing. <laughs> so, now the list has changed today. It's evolved but there's still a list. Legalism says there's no way you can be a Christian if. There's no way you can be a Christian if you look like that, or if you dress like that, or you vote like that, or you, there's no way God could be happy with you if, you know, you, you don't comply to the thing that I, that's so important to me. There's no way God could be happy with you if you don't agree with me on this issue. And here's the kicker, as I said before, with legalism, usually these things aren't even in the Bible. There's some little nuance to it, but we've built upon it. You know, Jesus' main conflict with the Pharisees was over legalism. It was what all of his clashes were over because Jesus was not following the rules. And they had laws and rules upon laws and rules, um, and they kept them diligently, and uh, they were considered very, very holy in their day, the Pharisees, because they kept those rules. And the, the, they took the Ten Commandments, and they made them into thousands of commandments. For instance, keeping the Sabbath, which we did a whole sermon on the the, in the summer of, you know, the purpose of the Sabbath. Um, but they, you know, it's to rest and not work. And it was given to men and women to, like, live fruitful lives. You need rest. God knows that. And so he said you need to rest. But they had calculated all these different things that, like, that made it, like, just following the rules so that anything over 50 steps, they said, was work. So you're only, on the Sabbath, only allowed to take 50 steps. And so, you know, if that was on Sunday, you do that in one trip to the fridge during football. 
so that can't be right. They, they wanted to keep, uh, you know, commandment seven, to not commit adultery, so they didn't want to lust. Men didn't want to lust on women, so if a woman passed them on the street, they would put their head down, they would close their eyes, and they would run into things and fall off. And these Pharisees were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because it literally was happening to them. So they were avoiding lusting. And women uh, were forbidden to look into the mirror on Sabbath because it was possible that they would see a gray hair. And if they pulled a gray hair out, that would be work on the Sabbath. So what did Jesus say about their rules? In Luke eleven forty six, he said, You experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. You just pile up these rules on people and all these regulations and the way to be spiritual, and um, the religion becomes this weight that you have to search and wiggle to find loopholes to get out of. And Jesus says, you missed the point. To the people under the load of religious legalism, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So I feel empathy. As one who experienced it, I feel empathy for anyone living under legalism. And I'm also concerned about the effect of legalism on the unchurched. Because being an ambassador of Christ is not about seeing that everyone follows the rules that you and I have created or that we prefer. The next unchristian characteristic that Emery uh, notes pairs with this first very nicely is judgmentalism. Legalism and judgmentalism. When religion is expressed by a morally superior attitude and condemnation of others. By the way, this is the number one reason people give for turning away from their faith. So you know the type. It's when people find fault with everyone else. They condemn people without faith because of their moral failures. They have no compassion for those who have messed up or are struggling in life. The more about announcing someone else's unrighteousness, un unrighteousness than true righteousness their words are destructive and denigrating, and so is their delivery. And they in no way capture the heart of what Paul is saying in this passage that we've been studying, which is that we are reconcilers. We are bringing God and people together. I've found that the most judgmental people that I know usually have something that they're hiding as well. And Paul... Paul kind of reinforces that in Romans 2, 1. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, <clears throat> excuse me, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. And my experience has been the people that are so hardcore about certain things, they're often hiding things. And we, we see this happening nationally among church leaders in denominations today. You know, Jesus was pretty clear about judging. He said, do not judge, or you too will be judged. Anybody need an ex explanation on that? 
How can we be ambassadors for Christ and violate such a clear prohibition? You say, but yeah, Britt, you know, you're, are you saying there's no moral standard or accountability with God? No, of course not I'm saying that. But Jesus, Jesus showed us the perfect balance. Remember when, he, when the woman was caught in adultery in John 8 by Pharisees, and they condemned her, and then Jesus took her aside and said, woman, where are your detractors? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir, because they had all walked away. And then he said, I don't condemn you either. Go now and, and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you, but walk in this way. I mean, after all, who can be prideful about God's grace in their lives? 2 Corinthians 5.21, the passage we're in, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the point is that in order to represent Jesus in the world, there's no place for judgmentalism because Jesus wanted to reach people to reconcile them to God. And no one would ever do that through judgment, through being judged by people. If you're living under the intense pressure today of legalism and judgmentalism, it's almost a sure thing that you'll be tempted with this next and last unchristian characteristic, which is hypocrisy. Legalism, judgmentalism, hypocrisy. When religious people pretend to be better than they are, Did you know that uh, hypocrite was not originally a negative word? In ancient Greek theater, actors wore masks to represent their character. So early on, like in early theater, all actors were male. So if they were playing a woman, they would wear a mask that would identify them as a female. Or they would wear a mask that represented the character that they were. You know, and you could tell by looking at the mask, they're either evil or a good person. And do you know what the people were called who wore those masks? Hypocrites. So to be a hypocrite, it's to pretend that you're something you're not. And isn't it especially galling when it's discovered that some of the most judgmental to turn out to be the most hypocritical in the midst of their condemnation? Jesus described religious hypocrisy in vivid terms. Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and and self-indulgence. And then in Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. The worst thing that we can allow religion to do to us is to turn us into hypocrites. And by the way, if you're searching for faith right now and you're in that process where you're exploring, please don't don't reject Jesus because you know some Christian hypocrites. That's not fair because that's not true to Christian faith. And I, I know many, many people that reject Jesus over that one issue, but you have a lot of hypocrite teachers, you have a lot of hypocrite business people, but we don't, we have a lot of hypocrite people that drive cars, you have a lot of hypocrite people parking their car in Costco parking lot, you don't stop going to Costco, right? We still do it. 
By the way, the opposite of hypocrisy is not perfection. To stumble or to sin is, doesn't make you a hypocrite. And too often I hear people say, well, I, you know, I can't come to church because I'd be a hypocrite. Or I can't be baptized because, you know, I'm, I'd be a hypocrite. That's like expecting perfection of yourself. So if you find somebody that sins just like you do, it doesn't make them a hypocrite necessarily. I hope not. That would make us all hypocrites, right? But it's the combination of harsh judgment and hypocrisy that makes us hypocrites. And by the way, legalism and judgmentalism, they, they almost always lead to hypocrisy. I mean, if you're living under this huge pressure of living up to impossible rules and then being constantly judged for, not, for every time you fail and you're walking around guilty, afraid people that will, fi- that will find out that you're not perfect, it follows you're going to have to pretend like you're accomplishing it all. So as a Christian, fake it till you make it. It doesn't work, you guys. One of the things I hear people say about Sunridge is what I love about Sunridge is they, they say, you guys are real. I think that that's such a great compliment for a church. In my small group years ago, we had um, a husband who attended our group, was not a Christian. He came with his wife, who was. And after a couple of years of him coming very faithfully along with her and basically not interacting in conversation very often, um, he did become a Christian. And I baptized him. And one of the things he said at his baptism was, you know, I used to think that Christians were perfect. But then I was in Britt's small group. (laughs) And he said, you know, if those guys can be Christians, then so can I. And he had no idea what a great compliment he paid us. So it's impossible to be authentically, to to authentically represent Jesus and be all hoity-toity about yourself. So let's be real, folks. Let's not make excuses for ourselves. And let's not delete Jesus' standard to love and to, to live lives of character and service to others. But let's not pretend like we have it all together all the time. Let's just like get that burden off of our shoulders. Because to be Christ's ambassador, there's no room for legalistic rules, for judgmentalism or hypocrisy. And if we're going to make a gospel impact in our community, in our homes, the places where we work, then the way is pretty simple. It's what we've been talking about for the last five weeks. That when you become a Christian, God is making you into a new creation. He's doing something new in us. And part of what's happening is he's changing the way we see people. So that we regard no one any longer from a worldly point of view. And as we're being formed by Christ, he starts to sift our motivations, not just our actions and not just our keeping of rules, but he sifts our motivations to where we're ultimately being compelled by the, thing, by the love of Christ in everything that we do. And when we have those three as a foundation to work from, then we become persuasive in leading others to be reconciled to God. How? through our lives of playing the music and saying the words, which is sharing what Christ has done in us. 
And the only way any of that happens is when we fully realize that we are Christ's ambassadors in the world. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That's you and me. We're the only people, the only Jesus some people will see. They're not going to read their Bibles. They're not going to listen to a sermon, but they will see us. And I hope and pray that they see Jesus in us. And when I say that, I mean the real Jesus. Not the liberal Jesus, not the fundamentalist Jesus, not the political Jesus, the real Jesus. Because I think that people who do their best to live this way will reflect Jesus in the world. And I believe that the church that has this as a focus will see Christians. They'll see people who were far from God step over that line of faith and be invited into uh, Christian faith with Christ. And, And those who are Christians will be constantly formed into the new creation just like Jesus. Is that who you are? Is that who we are? Is that who we want to be? That's the ultimate question. You know, next Sunday, I'm going to start a brand new series through December, our Christmas series. I'm calling it The Real Story of Christmas. And we're going to be taking a behind-the-scenes look at some of the most well-known people and events of the, first, of the Bible's first Christmas, okay? But as we close out Reach today, um, let's think about being Christ's ambassadors through our three postures that we've been using. I'm going to have the band come up, and then we're going to uh, work on these together, okay? So everyone stand up. This is our seventh inning stretch again. So first of all, we're going to reach upward, right? So everyone reach upward. Come on, all the way to the sky. Wave them around a little bit. Go charismatic on me here. Okay. All right. Some of you did that very naturally. That's good for you. Reach upward first by thanking God for the ambassador of Christ who came into your life. Think about that. We all have somebody, right? They represented Jesus to us. So thank God that they did. And then pray, God, make me a great ambassador for you. Then secondly, I want you to stretch yourself. Remember, this is the hardest one because this is, this is the part that hurts a little, right? So we're going to bend down, try to touch our toes or maybe just the seat in front of us. <laughs> Go ahead. Ah. It feels good, doesn't it? Feel the burn? All right. Stretch yourself by daily living for Jesus. And that's a change. We saw, like, statistically, that's not in our brains all the time. But I can allow God to stretch me to say, this is going to be my motivation. Today, whatever I do, whether I'm coaching, I'm teaching, I'm making money in business, I'm traveling, I'm being a mom, I'm being a dad, I'm being a student. Whatever it is, like, you do that with a motivation to live for Jesus in that. We've been sharing our staff values that we came up when we said we want to be an outwardly focused church. And uh, this is our last one, and it relates great to this concept. 
We value stewarding our resources to meet others' felt needs, offering appropriate care, support, and connection. And that just means that whatever God has given me, my sphere of influence, my resources, my family, my properties, my career, that it's all a gift from God that God wants us to manage for his sake. And we can live for Christ through that thing. Doesn't matter if you're an accountant or a painter or a winemaker, make medical devices, it doesn't matter what you do. It's like you can, you can do that for his sake. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're educated or uneducated, God is, God is working through you. And if you daily live through him, you will shine his light. And then last, we're going to reach outward to others, right? And the way we're going to do that is we are, we're going to reflect Jesus in the places that God puts us. You know, it's, it's interesting that, like, reaching out, you end up almost touching somebody, right? I know you're trying not to if you don't know them. Yeah. For your family, you're like, oh, yeah, this is the time to hug. And, but it's like, it's kind of weird if you don't know that person, right? And your arms are behind them. If you're single, this is your chance to ask them out. You're, you're halfway there, man. So we can reflect Jesus. That is ultimately what this whole series has been about. That whether you're Sunridge Church or some other church you're just visiting today, it's like God has called us to be his representatives in the world. And that means a lot. We need to do that. I'm going to pray just to wrap this whole thing up, and then the band's going to come back up, and we're going to worship in reflection to what we've been talking about. God, thank you for this church, for the good people that call it home, and um, for their openness to what you're doing in them and through their church and their homes, their families, their places of work. I pray that we would be people that reflect your image in the world, that we would tr accurately and compassionately depict who God is for the people that you place in our lives, that we are your ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.